with all humility on our feet, let us get up and receive the ministry of my brother and my friend, the Apostle of God himself. Apostle Emmanuel to take us through the next session. Hallelujah. Let's honor God for Apostle Randolph, please. Come on, you can, you can do better than that. Come on, let's clap louder. Hallelujah. Glory to God Almighty. And I want to also honor all the leaders, the ministers in this room as well. Let's clap for them as well. Amen. Just very, very brief. saw a picture of an arrow, a bow and arrow being stretched. And it was being aimed. And the, the first word that came to me was strategy. And I believe that there is a grace for the people of Ireland to be more strategic and effective in Jesus' name. I, I truly believe, I believe in effort, but I believe that what wisdom does is wisdom enables us to be effective. And I'm prophesying to you that every axe in this place shall be sharpened to cut down the trees. There shall be a harvest of souls in Jesus name someone say amen. amen father we bless you we say give us understanding today in Jesus name amen please be seated let's go to Genesis chapter <clears throat> Genesis chapter 41 verse 32 to 36 Genesis chapter 41 verse 32 to 36 I'm going to be speaking to you about various elements of leadership from a prophetic, from a strategic, from different elements of leadership. And it will be, a, it'll be relevant for everyone, but it's important that as you're, you're listening, be thinking about how does this apply within your context. I said it yesterday that our interpretation of Christ affects the character of our Christianity. So the character and the nature of how our Christian life looks is as a result of how we see Christ. If we see him clearly, we'll be able to be conformed into his image. And then we'll be able to apply his principles in our lives. Amen? Okay, so Genesis chapter 41, verse 32, it says, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt let Pharaoh do this and let him up the produce of the land of Egypt in the seventh seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. Amen. Thank you. We'll just stop with the keyboard. Thank you. Father, we pray for understanding today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many people here believe that they're a leader? How many people? Good. Every hand. That's pretty much every hand. Yeah. 
When God made us, he made us very, very significant. We see in the scripture in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, we see that God made two dimensions at least. He made the heavens and the earth. We know that God is a leader. And the nature of God's leadership is that truly his invisibility is a sign of his superiority. And what I mean by that is, is that his model of leadership is very, very clear. Because although God is a leader, the realm in which he established his leadership principle was in the invisible. Amen? He ruled from heaven. He created the invisible realm and he rules from there. But God decided to create the visible realm, visible dimension of the earth. But the leadership that God demonstrates was not primarily um, about him being seen, but he created men so that he could demonstrate his leadership through men. So he ruled from the invisible through the visible. We together? And so, although we don't see God physically, we see his leadership in the dominion of Adam. We see his leadership in the way Adam expresses his leadership. And I'm saying this because leaders, it is not per se about you being seen, but it's about your leadership influence being seen in the things in your life. For us to sustain revival and impact, we must understand that God's objective is not to establish a religion. It was never about God establishing a religion. His goal was about establishing a kingdom. And a kingdom ultimately is the reign of God in the earth. That's what a kingdom is. It's the will of God activated in the earth. Okay? Are we all together? Now, I want to say this just to, before I go into the teaching, because when God made Adam, the Bible says something very significant, actually. It says that it shows us that when God, whatever God spoke to, what he spoke to became the environment for the thing that he made to live in. I'll give you an example. He spoke to the land. In fact, he spoke to the sea. Genesis chapter 1. And the sea, he said, let the sea produce the fish. So when he spoke to the sea, the sea became the environment for the fish. And therefore the fish lived in the sea. Make sense? Then he spoke to the land. Let the land now therefore produce cattle. And the land became the environment in which cattle, animals lived. But with, with man, mankind, he did not speak to the land. He didn't speak to the, the water. What did he speak to? So therefore, the environment in which man is supposed to live in is God. So I'm saying that because the distinction between man is although man lives in the earth, his environment that he's supposed to live in truly is God. The place of the presence of God. And I'm saying that because I'm speaking to you now today as leaders who are distinct from leaders in the world. Because the basis of your authority on the earth is your position in the spirit. Does that make sense? Your leadership, your, your ability to lead effectively in the earth is connected to your posture and the environment that you live in. And I'm not talking first and foremost the physical planet, I'm talking about you being positioned with God in the spirit. Now I'm saying this because when the children of Israel were taken into Egypt, they were captives, they were slaves and all these different things, they left Egypt disorganized, they left Egypt 
in a way that was a group. They were a, a, a rabble. The, the Bible calls them a, a rabble, a, a, a disorganized group. But in order for them to enter into the land, there were so many principles that had to happen uh, for them to penetrate the promised land. God had to organize them. He had to give them strategy. He had to give them principles. The first thing that God did is he brought them to himself. And then from that place, the people were then given 613 laws, principles to enable them to go into the land and to occupy. How many people are occupying? Yeah, we all want to occupy. Now, I want to give you, I want to try and do this as concisely as possible. We'll see if we can go into two parts. But I want to give you at least four or five principles that are going to enable you to be an effective leader and enable you to enter in and to penetrate and occupy and continue to occupy. I'm talking from ministry experience. I'm talking from experience from being an entrepreneur. I'm talking from experience from being a business owner. I'm talking from experience from achievements and mistakes. These things I'm telling you are not just things I've Googled. They, they work. They work, okay? So the first thing that will enable you to be a leader, uh, before I give you the P, any of the Ps, I'll give you about four or five Ps to make it easy to remember. Before I, I give you these, I want to define what a leader is. A leader is somebody who influences people to achieve a defined goal. A leader is someone who influences people to achieve a defined goal. That's the generic definition of a leader. Now, a Christian leader is somebody who influences people to achieve God's purposes, God's goals, God's purposes. Not all leadership is Christian leadership. Not all leadership is, is, is the same. Jesus made a distinction. He said that the, 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 the benefactors, the lords, the Gentiles, they lord it over you. But in my kingdom, it will not be so. The greatest among you shall be your, your servant. The, the leadership model of the, the world is the leaders are at the top. And they influence through manipulation or control their people. But in the kingdom of God, the leadership model is the leaders are at the bottom. As I said before, they're the foundation. And they push the people. A good leader is a foundation. A bad leader is a ceiling. A good leader is a foundation in which he or she builds other people. One of the things I say to anyone I lead or mentor, I say that I am the minimum that you can become. Not the maximum. If you don't excel me, I've failed and so have you. Jesus made a statement and said, I, the works I do, you will do greater. He had a 70 mile ministry. 70 miles. Every time his miracles, majority of the miracles were in proximity. He released his word in a few of the miracles but when he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, he released the parakletos. And he said to them, you will do greater works. That's why you have Peter, his shadow healing the sick. Paul, his handkerchief healing. The objective of being a leader is multiplying leadership. Not multiplying fellowship. Any apostolic or prophetic, any, all of us here, whether you're an apostle or not, we have all been sent. 
And a part of the assignment is, is to reproduce or to colonize. That's what Adam did at the beginning. He, he was supposed to make earth a colony of heaven. The principle is that earth should reflect, the natural climate should res- reflect the spiritual climate. That's the model. So the leader, your objective is to be the best you can and enable others to go beyond you. Very important because this will determine whether your leadership is a Saul type of leadership or a David kind of leadership. The Saul kind of leadership, before I go into the teaching, the Saul kind of leadership is a leadership whereby you can only excel to the degree that I'm comfortable. You can only excel if you, I feel in my team, you can only excel to the degree of my insecurities. Saul chased a thousand. David chased 10,000. Saul had only a thousand followers on his Instagram. David had 10,000. Saul couldn't deal with it. And therefore, because of insecurity, he was a ceiling to prevent the leadership ability of his people. So if you're going to be a leader, you must understand that leadership must transcend you. It must go beyond you. Okay, can I please, please highlight this in your mind. Success without a successor, successor is failure. Success without a successor is failure. Leadership is about converting an individual, okay? It starts off singular and it becomes plural. That's leadership. Leadership is when it starts off with me, it becomes us. Leadership. Starts off with one ability, it becomes many abilities. Is it making sense? And so when God breathed in the Holy Spirit in Adam, that began his leadership journey. The spirit of dominion. And you know that, listen, if the Holy Spirit, all the Holy Spirit makes you do is pray in tongues, then you've missed it. Because the Holy Spirit, what happens is is that he, he is the spirit of dominion. After Adam received the Holy Spirit, Genesis 2.19 says that he now begin to influence his environment, begin to name the animals, begin to release authority. Is it making sense to you? So this is importance of leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So for this ministry and the movement we want to see in Ireland, it will be sustained to the degree of how our leadership develops. Even if you are gifted... Even if you're anointed, if your leadership ability doesn't develop, if your healing doesn't develop, Bible says in, in Zechariah, like people, like priests, the soul of the leader is revealed in the conduct of the people. The soul of the people, the leader. Am I helping you? The soul of the leader. The soul, when I say the soul, his heart, her heart, the mind. Not in every single thing, but in the majority of the culture, you see it in the people. Whether it be a business, whether it be a church, whatever it is. So the objective of any prophetic apostolic movement is, is it's not just for you to evangelize, but for you to build up leadership competence, leadership intelligence, leadership ability, so that you can be entrusted to sustain and to assure the things of God. 4,000 years from Genesis to Malachi is 4,000 years of revelation. 
God was trying to teach the people principles so that they can be able to steward the glory and the wisdom of God. And this is the reason why we're here today so that we can grow in leadership. Amen? So the first P I want to give you that will help you to be an effective leader is you need the prophetic. You need the prophetic. The prophetic is not just an accessory. It's a necessity. When I say prophetic, I'm not just talking about someone prophesying over you. I'm talking about spiritual intelligence. Spiritual intelligence is about, is intelligence about a person, a place, or a thing that comes from God and is not known merely by human understanding. Okay? Do you want me to repeat that? Spiritual intelligence is intelligence about a person, a place, or a thing that comes from God and is not known merely by human understanding. So, different elements of, of the prophetic can be, the first, the first place, I would say, is the Word of God. God, in order for you to lead as a Christian, you need the Word of God. God will first release His promise. Okay? I'll give context to Scripture in a moment in, of, of uh, Josh, uh, Joseph. But God will give you His promise. That is communicating history in advance. It's communicating the present and the future from God's perspective. <clears throat> this is so important because there are two kind of environments. There is what we see now with our natural eyes, and there is history in the present from God's perspective. And in order to lead effectively, we need to have God's perspective. Okay? The prophetic will also give you what we call situational awareness. Situational awareness. Now let's bring context. Now we've read in the scripture that Joseph was in Egypt. We read that earlier, correct? Now he was in Egypt and he was in the world system. And we see that Pharaoh had a dream. And what happened is, is that because of Joseph's spiritual intelligence, he was able to lead in very practical ways in a secular environment. The interesting thing about the prophetic is it's not just you receiving a prophetic word. It's you also understanding God's agenda in situations. I want you to understand that a part of the prophetic or part of growing in spiritual intelligence is not necessarily about information always coming directly to you. In this scenario, Joseph didn't receive the dream. I want to break some theology right now because many people think that God is only speaking to the church. Apostle, because we have a religious mentality, we've misunderstood kingdom. Kingdom operates with at least four pillars. One is spiritual. Two is economy. Three is government, administration. Okay? Four is family. I'll repeat it for you. One is spiritual. Two, family. Three, economy, money, how money works. 
Four, government, administration, laws. Five, entertainment, culture, entertainment. Six, health. Yeah? Seven, recreation. I'm not going to spend time with all of these ones, but I want you to understand that what's happened with the body of Christ is when Abraham, I'll keep my point, when Abraham, we all know Abraham, correct? Abraham, he was the father of three religions. One is Judaism, two is Islam, and three is Christianity. Islam operates like a kingdom. You have Islamic solicitors, Islamic chemists, Islamic Jews operate as a kingdom. But it's the Christians that we see power just as, and spirituality just as being spiritual. But we need to shift it, Apostle. We need to shift it so we can understand how it translates into every area. Now, why am I saying this? God is not just speaking to the church. He's not. God was communicating to a world leader. But this is a significant principle. Although God was speaking to the world, the interpretation is given to the church. God is speaking to your boss. God is speaking to different world leaders. But because they're not fearing him, they don't have the secrets or the consultation of God. So God gifts the church the prophetic grace. Grace to interpret through scripture. Grace to interpret situations from God's perspective so that they can display God's leadership in the world. Is it making sense to you? Joseph's leadership ability, even though he was by himself, he was able to recognize God's mind in a dream. He was not saying, he didn't pray in tongues, though praying in tongues is important. He was in a secular environment and the prophetic was very practical. It was a problem-solving ministry. Did you hear what I said? The prophetic is about solving problems. Why? Because it, you see things from God's perspective. If your prophetic can only see problems, it's not prophetic. It's pathetic. If all you can see is devils, all you can see is demons. Joseph interpreted a dream from a secular leader. And that shifted him into adding value. And you know what it did? The prophetic actually shifted the economy of the whole government. To the point whereby we read earlier on that they made it a law that one-fifth of the economy would be saved. Is it making sense to you? So why am I saying this? I'm saying this because God will give us knowledge about the present and the future from his perspective. There are prophecies over this nation. There are prophecies over Ireland, prophecies over your business. What you need to do is a principle is note down a scripture. What is God saying about this land? Where can we see this land in scripture? Why am I saying this? Because everything Jesus did when he was born 
is he did it to fulfill scripture. The scripture, the promise, become the boundary of his operation. Am I helping somebody? He moved from, from Galilee to Egypt so that it may be fulfilled in Exodus chapter 5 verse 1 that out of his Egypt I called my son. So his actions were guided by scripture. His practice is guided by scripture. This is important for leaders because we must be restrained by the word we declare. The word that I believe must also bind me because it guides my practice. Okay? So how do I know God is speaking to me? This is the question that many people ask. How do I know God is speaking to me? God does not necessarily sound like, like um, Shakespeare. You think God speaks like Shakespeare? Thouest, my sonest, come forthest. That's not necessarily how God speaks to us. God speaks to us in our inner conscience. You have your spirit, which is God, conscious of God. You have your soul, which is conscious of yourself. You have your, your body, which is conscious of the, the world. God will speak to you in your conscience. In Romans chapter 8, it says that the spiritual mind has life and peace. The attributes of God's voice will always carry life and peace. Okay? God doesn't always speak to you in words. According to Habakkuk chapter 2, God can actually, Habakkuk 2, 1, it says, I will stand my watch and I'll wait to see what he will say. That does not follow biological laws. I'll wait to see what he will say. God may speak to you in a picture. God may speak to you in a dream. Who here has dreams? Okay. Dream. There are two kinds of dreams. The Bible speaks about one dream called, uh, um, and the Greek is onupnion. It basically means that you are, you're just seeing something while you're asleep. Okay. But then there's the kind of dream which is spoken about in Joel chapter 2. That I'll pour out my spirit on no all flesh and you will dream them dreams. This is a distinct dream. This is a dream where God has taken you into his thoughts. There's some dreams that you can have. You, you had it because you was watching, I don't know, Hollyoaks or EastEnders and someone come in your dream. That's not the dream I'm talking about. That is a fruit of the flesh. I'm talking about the dream where the Holy Spirit bypasses your conscious mind and communicates to you. And with dreams, that's a form of spiritual language. Joseph had a dream. And the dream highlighted that he will be a ruler one day. And because of the prophetic, it guided his leadership behavior. Yeah? So we'll be looking at Joseph, we'll be looking at the 12 spies because they are very significant. Very, very significant. Okay? God will speak to you in dreams, he'll speak to you in visions. Sometimes, have you ever had this where you just have this conviction? Who's ever this thing, conviction? Yeah? Conviction is a part of God's technology. Conviction means to, be, to hold something to be true. It may bypass your mind, but you know it's God because there is a certain deposit. It leads you into righteousness. It's, it, it, the thing that he is convicting you about, the instruction, if you fulfill it, it connects to the character of God. Okay? So, Joseph, his leadership started with the promises of God. We also can learn from the 12 spies as well. Okay, now think about this. 
the 12 spies who are going to go into the land of Canaan, how many of you believe that God is omnipotent? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He gave them the promise in the beginning. He gave them the prophecy that you will possess the land. There are prophecies over this land right now. We're saying amen, thank God. But there is some practical things that he still called the 12 spies to do. He told them, even though God is all-knowing, even though God is all-powerful, even though God told them the land is yours, he said, go in and spy out the land. So it was not just spiritual intelligence now. It was not just a prophecy that God has given them and it's run of the prophecy. They were told for 40 days, even though they received the prophecy that the land is theirs, I want you to go into the land and do market research. Go into the land and do prophetic mapping. Find out in the region that you're going to conquer. Find out how big is it. Find out the economy. Numbers 13 and 14 says he told them to go in to the land. Even though they had the promise. Go into the land. Have a look. The thing is, is that the land was also occupied. There was an enemy in the land. This is important for us because sometimes when we go into different regions, we can misinterpret the reason why God wants us to see and look. I'll explain what I mean in a moment. The Amalekites, the Jebusites, all the different ites were in the land. God told them to spy it out. Not because they should be afraid of their enemy, but because they need to understand how to plan effectively based upon their market competitor. Is it making sense to you? The Amalekites are your competitors. They are currently occupying the land. So let's apply this now to Ireland. Who are your competitors? Islam is our competitor here. Who else is our competitor? Hebrew Israelite, who else is our competitor? New Age. So we, God has given you the land. Someone say amen. amen. In principle, it's ours. But there needs to be practical leadership strategy. In order for us to fully overcome, we need to know what, what is the weapons of the enemy? What are they using to fight us? How do they fight? Combine spiritual intelligence with market research. What, are the, what were the revivals in this land? How did they start? How did they finish? Is it making sense to you? Leaders need the second P I want to highlight after the prophetic is perception. What was very interesting is, is even though 12 of the spies went into the land, 
for 40 days and 40 nights, 10 of them, let me put it like this, they were all leaders. Number one, they were all leaders. They all were given the same promise, right? The land belongs to you. Number three, they all had the same exposure. But I've learned something. I've learned something in, in my life and in this ministry. I've learned that everyone can look when everyone sees. We can have 200 people in this room. Everyone is looking, but not everyone is seeing the same thing. They all had the same exposure, but 10 of them had a different internal conclusion. Why? It is because of their mindset. Mindset. 10 of them, they saw the natural information that was in the land, but they interpreted it for a heart that was not consecrated. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they saw the same thing. But because of their heart posture or their mindset, they interpreted the natural from God's perspective and not from the flesh. Am I helping somebody? I'm talking to you because I believe that we're mature enough to hear truth without having to be uh, hyped up. Amen? Now, this is very important because even though those 10 spies, they were all on, some of them were in, they didn't see all the miracles of Egypt, but they had the same exposure. They were told by God that they're going to take over the land. But can I tell you something? As a leader, you must be violent to maintain the right perspective. I cannot tell you how important it is. Their perspective was so important that, think of this. Because of their bad reports, it cost the whole nation 40 years of delay because their mindset was contagious. As a leader, your attitude is contagious. It's contagious. Not just what you say, but what you do is it's contagious. Very contagious. To the degree that even though Joshua and Caleb they had the right mentality, they were delayed because of the majority had lukewarm mentality. Are you following what I'm saying? One of the most dangerous things is a lukewarm Christian leader. It's dangerous. It's worse than a Muslim. It's worse than Hebrew Israelites because the message being communicated is confusing. Now, can I tell you something that I read in the scripture? It says in John, James chapter 1, it says that if you're going to ask God for wisdom, ask him in faith, not being double-minded. Because a double-minded man is unstable. I used to think double-minded was just a matter of changing your mind. But the word double-minded comes from the Greek word daisuke, which means two-souled man. Two-souled man, a two-hearted man. Now, what does it mean to be two-hearted? What it means is, is on the conscious level, you believe something and you say you believe. You know, we have a conscious mind. You know, in psychology, we have a conscious mind, correct? And with your conscious mind, the way you know you agree in your conscious mind is that you say 
You confess what you believe. But the unconscious mind is different because it doesn't have a voice. You don't say what you, you believe because you don't know what you believe. In your unconscious mind, you do what you believe. So a double-minded man really is a man who they say something, but underlying, they have what you call presupposed ideas that goes against what they believe. Do you know that what you believe is what you behave? If I believe in evangelism, I evangelize. I'm saying this because one of the things we must be very careful of is to not let us be deceived to think that the level of our education is the same level of our obedience to God. We can mistake our education for our obedience. The 10 spies, they were educated with the promises of God. But in the wilderness, because they hadn't consecrated their hearts, the information only reached a conscious level in their mind. It didn't go into their hearts. I find it interesting because this is what I believe that's happening, not just in Ireland, but across the body of Christ. I believe that the spirit of Jezebel is violently trying to attack the body of Christ. But Jezebel is not just this woman that comes in, she has nice clothes, she, she stands like this, and she, that's not just the spirit of Jezebel. The Jezebel is a system. And let me tell you one of the goals of the system of Jezebel. We know one of the fruits of Jezebel's goals because when Elijah stood and began to speak to the prophets and speak to the people, he said, how long will you halt between two opinions? The nature of the Jezebel spirit, especially when it comes to leaders, is to try and present two opinions about God. One opinion where you proclaim that you believe, but subconsciously your behavior is communicating something completely different. And the only thing that would break the double-mindedness of the nation is for them to raise up an altar. The altar was the place to destroy double-mindedness. Am I making sense? The altar was the place. If you read in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says that, hear this very clearly. When he wanted to break off the influence of double-mindedness over a nation of people, he told them, raise an altar. And what was the sacrifice? Bring a burnt offering. The burnt offering is the most expensive offering in the Levitical priesthood. Why? Because it was known as, it was the cow, the heifer. It was the most expensive, why? Because it was consumed completely in smoke. Can I tell you something? One of the ways that we break off double-mindedness is we must give everything to God. This is the cost of leadership. You are the offering now. The, 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 the burnt offering was also known as, it's called um, the offering of Allah. It means the offering of ascent. It was an ascension offering, which meant that when the offering was put on the altar, the fire consumed it completely and it represented the, the worshiper ascending into intimacy with God. Is it making sense to you? Now let's come back to mindset. As a leader, 
there are two things on the inside of you right now. There is the consciousness of what you believe. For example, who believes in evangelism? Who evangelizes? Do you see the picture? Who believes in forgiveness? Who actively forgives? Do you see the picture? As a leader, the primary goal, right, is to ask, does my education align with my obedience? Write the things that you believe down. Then check, do I actually, do I behave this? What this will help to do is will help to reduce double-mindedness. Am I helping somebody? Now, why is this important? It was necessary because they had to have their soul, their heart, their mind to go into this battle. There are three kinds of mindsets. Please note this down. Three kinds of mindsets. You are either in one of these or in all of these. I pray that by the grace of God, as we conclude, you will end up in the last one in Jesus' name. The first mindset is what we call a barbarian mindset. A barbarian mindset is a fear-based mindset. You interpret things around you from a place of fear. Maybe even God, you interpret God from fear. If you look at ISIS, you look at the different community, uh, what they do is that they, if someone steals something, Sharia law, they chop off their hand. Fear controls their behavior. So if fear is guiding your behavior, you are likely in a barbarian mindset. You see God from a place of fear. You see your world from fear, Okay. The problem with that is this, is that fear shuts down the anointing. Fear and the anointing and the grace of God, they don't work. The goal of the enemy is to make you afraid. Fear is taught by sin. Sin teaches fear. This is the reason why consecration is important, because as you consecrate yourself to the Lord, what happens? The righteous are bold as what? Lions. Okay? Sin makes a man a coward. Sin makes a man afraid. But what God does is that as he engages with us, when we, get a, we see the gift of righteousness, fear begins to be removed from our lives. Your goal in 2024 as a leader is to be fearless. So go in the direction of fear. Okay? Action overwhelms fear. Action overwhelms fear. When we talk about fear, fear is a spirit which comes through sin. Adam was never afraid. Never afraid. As soon as he sinned against God, fear came in. What does fear do? Fear makes you run from love. God is love, so he ran from it. Okay? Fear makes you run from love. Trust issues. That's what fear does. It produces sin, produces fear. Paranoia. Rejection. Cause you to run. So if you sense that, that's where the enemy is trying to make you double-minded. Because if you can't, you can't, you can't pastor people or lead people that you don't love them. Can't lead them well. So fear, barbarian mindset. The fear, being afraid isn't from the fear of God. Because the fear of being afraid, you run away from God. The fear of God is that you are afraid to be away from God. So you run to him. Yeah? The second kind of mindset is called the Greek mindset. This is the majority of the Western world. Because Greek, after, you know, the Romans took over, 
uh, Greece, uh, the Romans took over Greece, but the Roman, the Greek culture was across the nations. Greek, Greek philosophy, this is where you have the three disciplines, biology, study of life, philosophy, phileo, which is love, osophy, or, or, or knowledge, the study of wisdom, and theology, the study of God. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because the Greek mentality is, is knowledge is power. So if the more I know, the more powerful I will be. And although there is a benefit of growing knowledge, what happens is, is that people can base their superiority or inferiority based on what they know or don't know. But can I tell you something? God is not a subject just to be studied. He's a person to be known. Apostle mentioned the scripture earlier on in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says that they looked at the boldness of these men speaking. And they realized that these unskilled, untrained men, they've been with Jesus. Can I tell you something? When you've been with Jesus, even if you have not been to Bible college, there is a knowledge and a wisdom and an influence that just comes upon you. Joseph had never been to Bible college. He became a consultant of the government. And he got promoted. God will promote you in Jesus' name. Amen? <laughs> but this is the principle. He knew God. The third mindset is this, is the Hebrew mindset. The Hebrew mindset recognizes that knowledge is important, but they recognize that God is to be known and revered and loved. The Hebrew mindset recognizes there's a mystery in that we can't fully know everything about God, but we can submit to him. We can submit our minds to him. And if we listen to his voice, his instructions will take us to the next particular part of our journey. If we think like God, we end up getting his results. And God's goal is for us to think like him. Knowledge is good, but in order for us to be effective leaders, we have to embrace that we can't know everything. Is it making sense to you? Mindset, perspective, perspective. Now, what does it mean to be, let me say this, the marketing, the, the, the market research that these people were doing was necessary to make them plan. So if you're going to be an effective leader, you need to be able to plan, plan for the people, to navigate, plan ahead. They went 40 days, not because they were supposed to use that information to make them afraid, but that was supposed to help them strategize for them occupying the land. Some say strategy. The prophetic and the market research deals with the vision. But the strategy is the defined behavior. Okay? The defined behavior to fulfill the objective. So for you now in Ireland, consider what are the behaviors? What is the defined behavior? An action needed to fulfill the vision that God is showing. Experience is good. I said it before. Experience is good. But you have to be careful because experience can also hinder you. Jeremiah 32 highlights that God spoke to Jeremiah and told him to buy a field. Now this is the thing. Even though the prophecy came... If Jeremiah had not been saving money, Apostle, how would he buy a field? 
If Jeremiah, God spoke to him, there was a prophecy spoken over him, but if he didn't steward his resources effectively, he would have missed the prophetic timing. The way that God ordered the tribes to go into Canaan is that the first three tribes that would lead the march was Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Judah represented the kingship, the worship. Issachar represented the prophetic. But Issachar, um, Judah, Zebulun represented resource management. An effective leader is able to identify and steward their resources. So important. I'm talking about money management. How can God entrust you with the wealth of souls, but you can't handle the wealth of your finances? How? How? In fact, why? Not even how, why? It's not even how. Why would he? Why would he? Don't give me what I want, God. Give me what I can steward effectively. One of the things I learned in our church growth is that we could have just exploded and done everything. And I felt, Lord, if we do that, this would, de- this would be to our detriment. Because can we handle and steward the amount of souls that you want to bring into the community? We're calling on for the Lord for the nation. But in order to have the nation, there needs to be an effective stewardship of human resources. An effective stewardship of, of, of oh my God, of giftings. Now, this is, about, this is important because if your gift cannot be governed, then you can't be stewarded. Let me explain to you. If your gifts can't be stewarded by a leader, then you are not ready to take over the land. We have a culture, Apostle, where people say, well, God talks to me, I prophesy, and all these kind of things. If that prophetic gift can't come under a government administration... This is what we call the spirit of Korah in the Bible. Korah was one of the Levites. He wasn't even a priest, but he was a part of the Korahite family. His gift could not come under the stewardship of his leader, and God had to remove him. The first sin that God had to deal with in the early church revival was the issue of money. Ananias and Sapphira, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came... And the next phase after Judah and Issachar was established, prophecy and Holy Spirit infilling, was let's release the Zebulun anointing. Let's gather the resource and lay them at the apostles' feet so that we can now distribute the resources for the advancement of the kingdom. And there were two people, a family, and they said, you know what, let's hold back the money. God said, let's remove them. Because it's not just the anointing that needs to be shielded for holy, but it needs to be, hear me, a part of revival is the restoration of financial integrity. We're not here to prophesy for money, no. Take the money and let's use it for a holy purpose. Apostle, one of the things that scares me is that we love this spiritual element, but when we start talking about practical things, people start, their theology starts to, to, to get strange. And I don't understand why. And money is the lowest foundation of glory. The lowest foundation. 
In fact, I'll say this. Some people are so poor, all they have is money. All they have is money. If you can't be faithful in the stewardship of mammon, money, so your money must have an assignment. Yeah? Now, why am I saying this? Because the way that they penetrated the land was they were able to distribute the resources effectively. So important. Treasury, gifting, strategy. How much money do we have? Jeremiah had money. He saved. Now, God will give beyond your money, and he'll do beyond our money in Jesus' name. But he needs to see how we can steward it effectively. It's so important. I cannot express or explain. Daniel was a strategist. Daniel, and you can see the scripture, look in the scripture, Daniel was somebody who he taught the governors. He, they wasn't even in a, a religious environment. He taught the people, taught the king, taught the kings how to allocate their resources. So this is the, 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 the um, second one, perspective. Let's move on. Number three is partnership. Partnership. If I, no, 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 let me, before I go to partnership, let me highlight some things. Who knows what a presupposition is? Someone shout out, what's a presupposition? Presupposed idea. The 12 spies, two of them had a God presupposed idea. They, a presupposed idea is to assume something before it happens. It's an assumption, it's a belief statement. So for example, a good presupposed idea is that I believe that you will listen to me. Now, if I believe that, how do you think I'm going to behave when I speak to you? I'll be confident. If I don't believe that you'll listen to me, how do you think I'll be behaving? Be timid and shy. Okay. Now, I say this because, practically speaking, I was saying this to some of my mentees before, is I want you to write down three good presupposed ideas about the souls in this land. For example, when we speak, they will listen. If I'm going to evangelize, I must evangelize with boldness. Why can they look at me and tell me, boldly in my face, I came from a goat. I came from a rat. How can they be boldly telling me, I came from uh, a monkey? They'll look at you, boldly. They'll say, you come from an amoeba, whatever that is. But me, you, you are not bold to tell them the truth. If, we can be bold, if they can be bold with a lie, we should be bold with truth. So there needs to be, based upon the prophecies and the information that you've received from your research, there needs to be some godly presupposed ideas about the ministry, about your business, about whatever area of leadership that you're in, because it will help to frame your perspective. Joshua and Caleb saw the land from a completely different perspective. They said, huh, these giants... We'll eat them as our bread because they had a God lens. Is it making sense? Perspective is important. Crisis is important. When you have a good perspective, you also, you, see, you have what we call an optimistic view. Optimism, you have what you call, this is, this is my philosophy. I win, but I never fail. I have what you call delayed success, amen? Success is just delayed. It's delayed. 
This is important because if, you have, if you're going to conquer anything as a leader, you need to have a, it will always happen mentality. It's called violence. You, things will always happen. It will always work out. Another lesson, or a failure can become a lesson for you. It teaches you, not torments you. Okay? Let's move on. Partnership. So partnership is this. Effective leaders, they surround themselves with mentors and inner circles that empower them to be better. Leadership must be done not in isolation. You need partnership. You need partnership. I cannot express it enough. I'm, I'm here, but I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. You have a fantastic leader who actually helps to build you. Clap for your man of God, please. Clap for him. You do. It's true. And I, I say this not, not just because of hype or to get a reaction from you. It's very important because what a good leader will do, a good father will do, <laughs> I'll say it, is they will wound you for Jesus Christ. Abraham took the whole of his house, took a sharp instrument as a sign of the covenant, and he cut them. A good leader, a good mentor, will be able to circumcise your flesh. If it's cutting your flesh, don't run. Is it making sense? Genesis 17 says that take all of those in your household and circumcise them. He took the sharp instrument. Abraham took the sharp instrument and he cut the foreskin of his, his sons. Now in the new covenant, that sharp instrument now is the word of God. And when you have good mentors, what will happen is that they'll help to cut, circumcise the uncleanness of our hearts. Mentors are very important. Listen, you can learn more from mentors than mistakes. Mentors give you wisdom without pain. There are different kinds of mentors. Some mentors, are, you, you need to pursue them. These partnerships need to pursue. Don't say, I can't chase anybody. No, pursue. Proximity. Elijah, he gave his, his mantle and he moved. Pursue. Two, there's paid partnerships. People, for example, even as a ministry, leaders, seek financial guidance. We did research in Birmingham. We noticed that one of the biggest issues that's happening is finances, people. So we have people now who are going to be coming in to the church to teach on financial literacy, debt management. Why? Because you need to be blessed to advance the gospel. You need to be healed to advance the gospel. The power of God is the blessing, yet we need physical resources to do it. Pay, you need organic partnerships, friends. Please, choose your friends, leaders. Choose your friends. Choose them. Do not be like X Factor. You want everyone to pick you. Choose your friends. Amen? Balance the right to choose their friends carefully because your association is your destination. 1 Corinthians 14 says that bad company corrupts good character. As a leader, you have to understand this principle. 
As your leadership influence increases, your rights decrease. As your responsibility and your influence increases, your rights decrease. What do I mean by that? Now, when you, have, when you are in a position of leadership, you, people who are not leaders, can, they have the right to complain. The right to come anytime. Right to say whatever they want to say. But when you're in a position of leadership or management, you don't have the right to leave anyhow. Am I telling you the truth? When you've worked as a manager in an organization, they pay you based upon your responsibility. And so your salary is increased if you're a manager, but it also means that your responsibility and your right to behave anyhow decreases. In fact, when you look at the sin offering in the Bible, the most detrimental sin is when the high priest sins or the whole congregation sins. If the high priest sins, literally, they'll have to offer a heifer. If an average uh, tribal leader sinned, they would offer just a goat because the heifer was more expensive. I'm saying this because you lose the right to complain. You lose the right. Is that making sense to you? So if we're seeking higher levels of leadership, we must also be seeking to relinquish our rights. Jesus, example. Jesus had been with his disciples. Now, if you really understand, I know we, we think Jesus was poor, but Jesus was not poor. Ah, Jesus was not poor. Because the Magi came to him as king of the Jews. They believed he was a king of the Jews. And they came with camels and gold. They funded his ministry for 30 years. He was not poor. His mother and father would have been the custodians of the money until he became of age. But what's interesting is, is that when the Pharisees come to him, they said to him, why is it that you guys don't pay temple taxes? Instead of drawing from the money baskets from Judah, um, Judas, he told Peter, Peter, go to the fish. Fish. And from the fish, there'll be some gold coins. Why am I saying that? He told them that, listen, if I'm a son in the house, I shouldn't actually have to pay taxes. But unless we offend them, Let's make sure that we pay. Why? It is not because Jesus was double-minded. But he knew that he didn't want to offend them by exerting his own rights unnecessarily. Is it making sense to you? We don't need to. As a leader, you recognize that you may have the right to say certain things and do certain things. But because of your position, you are trying to protect your leadership influence. Partnerships. Moses is a good example because Moses was leading in, Gen in Exodus chapter 18. He was leading over 2 million people. But when he connected to a partner, a mentor, Jethro, some say Jethro. Jethro is very significant because Jethro, although he was not leading a big organization, Jethro was a mentor. And Jethro helped Moses read the trends of his ministry. Moses, you are working from morning till night. Moses, you're not resting. With one advice from a mentor, it shifted his organizational structure. And now his system 
Let's have leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties. And then he could fulfill his main assignment as being an intercessor and minister of the people. When you have a mentor, they help you to identify trends. They help to identify, in fact, they can help your productivity increase. You can work hard, but when you have mentors, you can work smart. Is it making sense to you? Okay, who here is into football? Okay, let me ask a question. It's a dangerous question. Messi or Ronaldo? Can you see how loud, see how loud they're shouting? Okay, let me do a quick one. Uh, Arsenal or Man United? Okay, whoever said Man United, we'll do altar call later on tonight and we'll do... The reason why I'm, the reason why I'm saying this is because no matter how good Messi or Ronaldo are, they still have coaches. They still have somebody to help them perfect their craft, to look into their strengths and weaknesses. Leadership is when you hear this, when you give your gift a responsibility. Give your gift a responsibility. Serve your gift. Add value. That's what leadership is about. When you discover what, where you can add value, that's when you begin your leadership journey. Not all leaders are seen, but you're still a leader. For example, there are people who are leading hospitality, leading finance, leading, leadership is you are influencing. So as you discover your place of where you can add value, your leadership increases. It increases in three dimensions. It increases your faith, if you continue to use it. It inc increases what you call your matron, which is your sphere of influence. And number three, it increases your authority. Faith, Matron or your remit, your environment of authority, your environment and your authority. So the more you serve this gift, the more you serve what God has given you. The reason why it's important to come under a mentor is because although God can speak to you directly, God conceals grace in people. And that grace and wisdom can be acquired, yes, supernaturally, but also through experience. And so... Even Samuel, even though Samuel was a prophet of God, Eli, although he was even corrupt, Eli was help, helped him to steward his gift. Very important to have mentors. Okay. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You need counsel in all areas of your life. All over your life, especially as a Christian leader. This is important because what can happen is, is that if you don't develop every part of your life as a leader, you become disjointed. John chapter 11 shows us a good example of Christ's leadership because Christ literally is the resurrection and the life. He went to Lazarus to raise him from the grave. Amen? Talk to me. Say amen. amen. But the reality is this. Even though he demonstrated and he had the divinity, he also showed his humanity. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. What does that mean? He was in touch with his soul. 
he was able to interact on a human layer, human level, okay? And so for you and for me, for leadership to, to increase, it's not just to be mentored in spiritual things. We're mentoring, in fact, look after your body, amen? Eat well. I don't know who's convicted now. Eat well. These are important things because it will help you to be what we call a holistic leader. Last thing I want to highlight that will help you as a leader is the principle of pursuits. Pursuits. Effective Christian leaders, they're able to take action. They're able to apply the principles that they've learned by taking action. Can I tell you something? As a leader, one of the most important things that has helped me is having a growth plan. How many people have goals here? Fantastic. Goals are good, but they're not enough. You can reach your goals, but not necessarily grow in leadership. I want you to have a growth plan. A growth plan is how you will grow as a person. Write down what areas would you like to grow in. Write down what are the gaps in your knowledge. When you are 16, maybe 18 years old, you stop education and you're no longer legally required to go into university or college or any kind of formal education. But as a Christian leader, you must take responsibility to educate yourself. So say educate. What does educate even mean? The word educate, it means to lead out of ignorance. Can you imagine? So for me to take education into my own hands, I'm saying I need to lead myself out of ignorance. Ignorance is not bliss. What we don't know is killing us. It's killing us. It is killing us. I'm telling you, what we don't know about finances is can kill you. What you don't know about the prophetic can kill you. You will not die in Jesus' name. What we don't know, hear me very clearly, with not natural motion, we move based upon meters or kilometers per mile or per second. Are you following me? That's how we move. We move meters per second, meters per hour, whatever it is. But in the kingdom, in the realm of the spirit, we progress not in the measurement of meters, miles, or kilometers. We move by wisdom. So wisdom becomes the way in which we move, we travel. Does it make sense? So the distance between who you are now and who God has shown you to be, you move, hear this very clearly, you move by wisdom, not meters per hour, but obedience per moment. You move in obedience. Obedience. Is it making sense to you? So I want you to understand this because growth, one of the biggest mistakes about growth is that we think that the natural laws of growth also applies to the spiritual laws. The natural law of growth is that we think we just grow automatically. 
Oh, in Christian leadership, in Christendom, you don't grow automatically. You grow through intentionality. That means that if you decided you could be a completely different person by the end of this year. There are some people, oh my God, they have been born again for 30 years, 40 years. They have grown old but not grown up. They're the same people, apostle. They, they, they're the one that owned the chair in the church. They're there. They, that's their favorite chair. There are people that have come into the kingdom. They're grown. They're grown. Look at the scripture. Really, by three years, you should be making disciples after three years. You're not making disciples. You are, you're stagnant somewhere. They have grown old because they think that because of time, they're wise. No. Growth in the kingdom is not a function of time, but a function of obedience. So as you apply the knowledge that is revealed to you, you shift in infrastructure, you shift in integrity, you start to grow into the man. Did you know that Christ had to grow? Luke chapter 2.52 says, Then the child grew in wisdom and stature and favor with men and God. So even though he was a son, he still needed to go through the acquired protocols to manifest sonship. There are different levels of sonship. There is at least five levels of sonship. One is we call the technon, where you're born into the family. You just have the DNA. You just have the blood. You don't, you don't sound like your parents. You don't look like your parents' behavior. All you are is you are born into the family. The born-again experience gives you legal position with God. But the point I want to highlight is, it is through obedience that will enable you to grow up. He said he grew in wisdom. How does a person grow in wisdom? Wisdom is not given to the intellectually intelligent. Wisdom is found in Christ and given to those who fear the Lord. The love of God will protect you from legalism. But the fear of God will protect you from lawlessness. And he grew in the fear of the Lord. How did he grow in the fear of the Lord? One of the ways you grow in the fear of the Lord is having an eternal perspective. The knowledge of the judgment seat of Christ. Is it making sense to you? So, he grew in this knowledge, even though he's fully God. He grew in the knowledge of God. He grew in stature. Someone say stature. Stature. I don't know. This picture that he showed of Jesus as a skinny white man who has this hand like this, that's not the Jesus that is in the Bible. Jesus was a carpenter, or at least a carpenter's son. He looked after his body. I repeat, he looked after his body. Do you know if you have a body, you have a ministry? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that there's a prophecy. It says, a body you have prepared for me to do your will. So if I have a body, that means there's a will of God on the earth I need to perform. My body, if I don't look after my body, I can't perform the will of God. So I'm not just saying this is a good advice. A healthy Christian leader will sleep well. They will eat well. They will move their body. Why? Because 
many, ah, this is sensitive, but some of us that have gone ahead of us, they died before their time. If you read God's generals, some of these wonderful men of God, because of a lack of sleep, who's convicted? Even me, I'm convicted now. Look after your body. I'm telling you the truth because, especially for young adults, it's very important because we, we think that we'll have this level of energy forever. God will give you the grace internally, yes. We know that Moses, he, when he died, he didn't die dim eye, he didn't die any problem. That's Moses, we thank God. But one of the things we know is that Moses was walking with God consistently. Good. But there's still a need to look after our well-being. For example, practicing rest. Having a schedule. Don't say I'm being led by the Spirit and you're just it's around and about. In fact, when it, in fact, the term to be led by the Spirit actually means to pattern one's life according to the revealed will of God. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. And you can't be led by the Spirit without the Word of God. Not effectively. In fact, when you read the Word of God, the Word of God helps you to know whether you are in sync with the Spirit. There is a difference between, I'll say it now, there's a difference between being led, the leading of the Spirit and the will of God. What do I mean? Paul wanted to go into the land to evangelize. Who believes evangelism is the will of God? It is. But the Bible said the Holy Spirit forbade him. So although it's the will of God, the Spirit was guiding him in the execution of the will of God. Make sense? So, look after your body. The child also grew in favor. Who wants to grow in favor? How do you grow in favor? We grow in favor by growing in honor. You can't grow in favor without growing in honor. Our culture, most of people in here, African and Caribbean culture, there's a level of honor. However, the Bible says not just to honor one another, honor the king. How can I be sent to the nations, but I don't know my neighbor's name? How, how can I be sent to nations of people, but I've never spoken to my neighbor on my streets? Honor them by just greeting them. I'm an introvert, but the Holy Spirit is not introverts. Did you hear what I said? The Holy Spirit is not introverts. He's not introverts. Man of God. We, we have this thing, as I said in my church, people say, I don't feel comfortable to speak to people. There's a Holy Spirit inside of you. Love will find a way. You don't even need to even preach any gospel. Just ask them, tell them that you are in the area, you want to find out the needs of people, you know, is there anything that you could pray for for them? Do you know that this culture now is the most receptive to spiritual things? $1.2 billion is being spent right now on astrology. Do you know why? Because, let me say this, in Genesis 1.14, the Bible says that the stars are in the sky for signs and for seasons. What they would do, what we do now is that we look at our calendar to read the calendar, to, to know the time and the season. I'll, I'll conclude shortly. We look at our calendar, right, to understand the season. But the original Hebrew would not do that. They would look at the sky because God pointed out the signs and the events in the sky. 
That's why when Jesus was speaking to the people, he said, listen, you are hypocrites because you can look at the sky and read the signs. Uh, you can know the, the time, but you don't know the, the times. And I'm saying this because the Hebrews who were into Kabbalah, different kind of uh, Jewish mysticism, they took these principles and they started to do astrology where they tried to read signs and seasons outside of the Holy Spirit and the direction of God. And even till today, we have people paying money, going to mediums. Why? Because the church has not taken their place. I believe that just as when Paul released the gospel in Ephesus and the witchcraft, the different people took their spells and burnt them, I'm believing that in Ireland that the people in spiritualism and witchcraft, they will burn. I believe that if we have leaders that rise up, it will disrupt the economy of the land. I'm not trying to tell you just nice things. I'm nearly done. I'm not trying to tell you just nice things. I'm telling you that if you just go to your neighbor, I learned more about prophetic ministry in the secular world than in the church. Because... It's just rich. Sometimes it's more difficult to prophesy about someone when you know personal information about them. When you are in the, the world, it's like, in fact, 98% of the miracles that Christ did was in the marketplace. So I'm saying this, honor your neighbor. Greet them. You know, find out who they are. And I'm saying this because this is one of the things that I saw. In the place I used to live, the person down the street, I, we were having our fourth year anniversary and I, the, the flyers that we had, they were sent. I wasn't in, so they were sent to the house, not two doors down the road. So what happened? I went to the house. I knocked on the door. I asked him for the um, package because, you know, the po uh, post thing, it shows you the house number. So I went to the house and I did that. He opened the door. He gave him the thing. I said, are you okay? This, the actual flyer was on the the cardboard box. I said, okay, would you like to come to the thing? He said, no. He's going to be moving to Liverpool, this, that, and the other. I said, okay, well, let me just pray for you. I prayed for him. He did not give his life to Christ, but he opened up a doorway for the gospel to share with him. Now we have a relationship. He's not in that particular place. He's in Liverpool now, but we're still speaking, and it's an opportunity for me to share the gospel. So honor goes a long way. Have a plan to grow. I'm nearly done. Have a plan to grow. Where do I need to grow? Do I need to grow in my communication? Do I need to grow in my conflict resolution if we're going to see revival that means that we're going to have to deal with people can you tell me if you're going to lead the hardest thing to lead is people people are hard to lead Moses had a divine encounter with God and the people were still trying to they were still speaking against him if he was in his own dimension how much more you and me so one of the most important things that a leader does is they're able to relate with people your relational intelligence will also affect your leadership ability. Okay? There are five levels of leadership. I'll give you them very quickly. The first level of leadership is position-level leadership. You lead because you have the right to lead. You've got the position. You lead because you are the leader. But people only follow you at that level because they have to, not because they want to. Just because you've been given the position doesn't make you the leader. The position just gives you enough time to express leadership ability. If you're appointed as the, the head of worship, if you're appointed as the 
the, the uh, prayer, whatever it is, that's just a position. You cannot be effective just by having a position. You'll get the least amount of leadership from your uh, influence from your people. They give you what they call discretion. No, they won't give you discretionary leadership, um, discretionary efforts. Okay, and you can see that because when people go to work, you can tell those who want to be there by how they park their car. <laughs> if you back your car ready to leave straight away, you're there because you have to be there. Okay? The, the second level of leadership is permission level leadership. This is beyond just because of your position now. The R is this, is, re, is relationship. The first P is position. And you have the right to lead. The second P is permission level, which means people follow you, not because they have to, but because they want to. They want to, why? Because of the, the R word, relationship. How do you build a relationship? You have to be interested in your people. Not just transactional communication. You need to actually engage relationship. Listening is the key part of relationship. Is it making sense? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He says, I know them by name. That means there's a personal interest. Okay? Number three, the next level is production level leadership. When you build a relationship with people, if it just stays at relationship, it's not, it's not going to be completely productive. You need to leverage that relationship by bringing challenge. The R of this kind of leadership now is results. When you have, different, when you have a closer relationship with the people that you're leading... What happens now is that you can have a great level of authority to correct them, encourage them, and challenge them to produce results. Is it making sense? The R for this level is results. We now need to have key performance indicators. How do we know we're productive? What's the goals? Have a goal for your team. An accountability. Let's review. Amen? Is it helping you? Number four is people development. People development. You're training people not just to be followers. You're training them to be leaders. As you build your team, you start to delegate responsibility to give them space to grow. What you'll find is this, is that as they're growing in leadership, they start to handle different areas that you don't need to focus on anymore. And you have more leaders in your team. Don't be intimidated by having a leader in your team. Channel their leadership. Don't shut it down. My policy is this, if I can't instruct you, I can't pass to you. That's my policy. If I can't instruct you or correct you, I can't pass to you. So establish your criteria. Okay, people development. You now have leaders. These leaders are good because they increase the productivity. The last one is pinnacle leadership. Pinnacle. You've used your position to serve people. You've used a position to build a relationship. Amen? That permission level now you have a soul tie, a healthy soul tie with your team. People want to be around you. They want to follow you. They'll make more sacrifice with you and for you. You use that to challenge them to get results, production level leadership. And now you're building leaders that are replicating your character and your functionality. That's good because a success without successor is failure, remember? Last one is pinnacle. They've seen the results you've done for your team, for the organization, and now... The R that they're using now is respect. They respect you. Now, you may be at different levels with the people in your team. 
But you want to get to level five with everyone in your team, but that's very difficult because it requires relationship. It requires assertiveness. It requires listening. It requires dealing with insecurity. One of the things that a good leader will do is show the people his scars. You know, Jesus, he rose from the grave. What did he do? He showed Thomas his scars. The scars did not make him afraid. They inspired him. Please, if you're going to be an effective leader, don't try and behave perfect. Because perfection is not inspiring. It's intimidating. People can't relate to a perfect person. But when they see that, and this is what they, they loved about David. David, he went in and out with Israel. And they loved him. Because he went in. He showed them his lifestyle. Is it making sense to you? If you follow these principles... It will help us, it will help you to penetrate the land. Father, I pray, give us wisdom and understanding in these things. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.